Welcome to Red Carpet Retirement. This podcast is all about helping business owners and those in the entertainment and creative industries secure and protect their financial future. We provide educational stories and specific strategies so you can achieve the red carpet retirement you so richly deserve. Now here's your host, Adam Scott. Hello and welcome to Red Carpet Retirement with your host, Adam Scott. Adam, how are you? Great, Eric. Great to be with you here again. Yeah, today. I'm excited because this is actually the second part and you're going to kind of pick up where we left off on the last podcast. That's right. Uh, second part of the investment consulting process. That's right. All right. And, we, and can you give us a recap for the audience? I know you're going to be talking about five pillars or you're, actually you're talking about the last two today, but you really kind of got into them on the last episode. Can you give us a recap? Yeah, yeah, man. I just, uh, I just want to say that there will be a couple of interesting little anecdotal stories that, uh, that, uh, that, that hopefully the audience will enjoy some <laughs> around around this. So, what we talked about uh, in episode two is we talked about the lunar landing wealth management process, and we mm-hmm. talked about our secret source and the importance of sophisticated advanced planning techniques, kind of. Uh, um, uh, tax, tax techniques, estate planning, protection techniques to enhance your wealth, and that this uh, investment consulting bit that we're talking about now is just—it's just one part of financial planning and wealth management. But obviously, it's a really important part. Often, you know, the person who, the man off the street, the woman off the street, assumes this, this is a hundred percent of what we do. But what the point I'm trying to make is, it's just—I'm going to say twenty percent of what we do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe a very important twenty percent, but it. Those other things are really important as well. We talked previously about Murphy's Law, right? And whether you're planning a flight to the moon with our lunar landing wealth management process or or you're navigating your retirement journey, if it can go wrong, it will go wrong. That's Murphy's Law. So we want to make sure that nothing goes wrong. If you got anything to lose, you know, you don't want to lose it, right? Yeah. So then- in episode three, we got on the investment consulting process. We talked about uh, process pillar number one being rely ROI, but in our terms, that's reliability of income. That's not the traditional meaning, return on investment. And we showed how reliability of income is the most important thing for if you want to make make work optional. If you're not going to have an income anymore from from work, you need reliability of income, and that's very different than return on investment. We showed how somebody who focused on return on investment, you know, my father's friend Jim Roberts had a high return on investment, but he went completely broke because he didn't have reliability of income. We talked uh, about Warren Buffett's advice. Don't risk what you have and need for what you don't have and don't need. And we're going to talk a little bit about that and, and how we use that in our in our bucket strategy. We're going to talk about that later. And we talked about sequence of return risk, and, and that was how Jim Roberts came undone. So that all was part of our reliability of income, our ROI process pillar one talk. Then we talked about process pillar number two, a modern portfolio theory and the work of Harry Markowitz, and how that leads to us being able to create a higher risk-adjusted return with clients' overall portfolios. Then we talked about pillar number three, and that is our behavioral economics pillar and respecting and using the work of Robert Schiller to see when markets are at extremes. And so often those who focus on pillar number two 
don't pay attention to pillar number three. It's really important to pay attention to pillar number three. Beware of the markets at extremes or take advantage of markets at extremes, which is driven by human behavior. So that's behavioral economics and behavioral finance. Yeah. So I, I, I got yeah. to tell you, before you jump into what we're covering in this episode, I have been thinking about that ROI acronym for the last couple of weeks since we recorded last time. And and I that was brilliant, right? Because in, in our discussion, I've always thought of it as return on investment, but reliability of income, the way you stated it and the way you covered it in that last podcast, it, it really made me think. I thought that that is fantastic. That's such a it's a much better way to look at it, in my opinion. Right, right. Well, thank you so much, Eric. And as I say, when you are, I, I mean, it's important to every investor. But sure, in your twenties, you can be focused on return on investment. But the closer you come to wanting to make work optional, you need to replace that income, and that's yeah. what you've that's what you've got to start focusing on. So. In this episode, we've got two buckets. Uh, uh, we've got a, we, well, we, sorry, we've got two pillars. Mm -hmm. So, in this episode, we have two pillars: process pillar number four, bucket strategies, and process pillar number five, tax strategies. And actually, I'm going to give another name for the for the bucket strategies. I'm going to call it our multi fuel tank strategy, in line with our lunar landing yep. uh, wealth management process. This is our multi-fuel tank strategy. Okay. So, you know, one thing that, Eric, that worries, that's kind of been a concern of mine for a number of years now, and and that I think that this kind of um, the multi-fuel tank strategy helps solve is a lot of the amateur investor community, you know, the do-it-yourselfers and even professional investors just believe that because US markets have always gone up long-term, that markets always will go up long-term. I can't tell you the amount of conversations I've had like that. Like, you know, I was on a boat this weekend with some very affluent lawyers and they were, you know, commiserating about their portfolios. They were asking my advice about the economy. And these guys, you know, are early 60s and they turn around and they say to me, but, you know, I know I just got to stay in and, and it's all going to come back, right? And yeah, there's some truth mm -hmm. to that, but there can also be, um, it could take longer than people expect. Yeah. And it's based on a philosophical flaw. This concept that markets always will go up because they always have gone up is based on inductive reasoning. Just because it's done it in the past, it always will. And in logic, uh, uh, you know, that's considered a flaw. And you know, we saw this was a subprime mortgage crisis that that Wall Street built models based on how mortgages have always performed historically. Well, then it turned out to be different and all their models fell apart. So be very careful of building your plan based on the idea that markets always will go up and that's just going to happen soon, right? So again, we're going to attempt to go into that and, and, and show a solution to that. And as John Maynard Keynes said, yeah, I mean, markets may go up long term, but in the long term, we'll all be dead, right? <laughs> so <laughs> I like that guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And, and, you know, and I, and the other one, I think we shared this before, but is, you know, the, the problem is markets can remain irrational for longer than you can remain solvent. Yeah. So you've got to be really careful when you, when you construct your portfolios and you construct your, your wealth management, your financial planning strategy, the, that you take account of that. Yeah. Well, it, it was interesting because I, 
I had learned this years ago and, and when I was explaining, uh, you know, investing to my children and, and talking to them about the markets going up, the markets going down, you know, the, the fluctuations and things, I would tell them the math is always against you. And, and they, well, what do you mean? I said, well, if you make 50%, let's say you have a hundred thousand dollars, you make 50% on that portfolio, you have $150,000. If you lose 50% at that point, you're down to 75, right? So you're, you're below where you were before. Right. So, and they're like, okay, I get that. I said, okay, now let's say you have the hundred thousand dollars. Let's say you lose 50%. You're at 50,000. And then you make 50% on that portfolio. You're still at that 75,000. The math is always against you. If you win first, then lose it, it. It's against you. If you lose first and then win back, you're still against. Right. So when you're talking about that in the long term, sure, we can look at historically, the markets have gone up. You know, and they, there's a certain return since the 1930s or whenever they started, you know, calculating this stuff. But you lose big, like 08, 09, like you said, in the long term, how long is it going to take you to recover if you've lost 50% of your portfolio? You've got to earn 100% back to get just to back to where you were. Right. Who has that kind of time? Right. Exactly. And, uh, and yeah. So you have to plan for that. So, yeah. That get that gets to our multi-fuel tank strategy. That in our first fuel tank, it's like the space shuttle. If you remember, the space shuttle had various fuel tanks, and mm-hmm. it has those huge solid solid rocket fuel boosters on the side, giant rockets right on the side. You remember that, Eric? You oh, remember yeah. what they did? They're huge. They looked massive, right? And they would launch the space shuttle up into space, and then they would drop away as soon as it reached orbit, mm-hmm. and Similarly, the way I look at it is we're preparing this uh, this space shuttle, this lunar landing module to take off from Earth, and you're filling it up with fuel. And that's you working, you're putting all the fuel in, all the assets in during your working life. And then you want to make work optional. You want to launch, and that's you going up into orbit. And those giant fuel tanks, which hold the most fuel, that you don't want that to suddenly deplete by half the day before launch, right? You don't want to have happen what happened to Jim Roberts or what you were just discussing now, that to go down by 50%. So the assets in that particular bucket, in that fuel tank, need to be extremely stable. The biggest risk short term is what we call market risk, is the market selling off just as you're trying to launch yourself into retirement, into this point where you are going to be providing your own income. So any thoughts or questions around that, Eric? No, I mean, that that makes perfect sense because you only have half the fuel. Shuttle goes up, shuttle kind of comes right back down. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Now, on the, the other end of the spectrum, that the other fuel tanks, they say the fuel to actually land the, the module on, on the moon, you're going to be using that way out. And that's going to be a different kind of fuel. The fuel that pushes you through space, the fuel tanks that take you through space, they're going to be different fuel tanks. And that's the same thing in our retirement portfolio. And the final fuel tanks that we'll call them buckets four and five, fuel tanks four and five, those are being used right at the end of your journey. In our case, those are decades down the line. And the biggest risk decades down the line is inflation that mm. you need to outpace inflation. It really, just think about it. If the market drops 50% day, if the drop market drops 75% over the next two or three years, and let's say you're my age, 62 years old. Let's say I live to where my mother is. She's 99, right? That's almost 40 years away. Yeah, My mother still needs money, right? <laughs> We're mm-hmm. still paying the bills. 
the fact that the market may have dropped 50% 40 years ago is immaterial to her well-being, as long as she did not have to use those funds 40 years ago. If those funds were invested appropriately for now, 40 years later, they've grown back. They've more than grown back. The critical thing there is to outpace inflation. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, 40 years ago, I was eight. Right. <laughs> and, and so that was at the very, you know, that's early 1982. Um, you know, I'm sure that there's statistics on how much a gallon of milk was and the loaf of bread and all that stuff. I remember my dad telling me stories of, you know, he'd get an allowance of 25 cents a week. Right. And he'd be able to take the bus downtown, watch a movie, get an ice cream cone and take the bus back and have two cents left. You know, so that doesn't happen. You know, somebody's going to have at least 30 bucks to get to the movies today. So inflation is real. It can, right. Yeah. I can't imagine in 40 years what it's going to be. That's the problem. I, I, I can't personally imagine what that'll look like. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for bringing that up, Eric. I, I should have some quotes on that of, of, of what a bus fare was or what a gallon of milk yeah. was 40 years ago compared to today. But their inflation is your biggest enemy. The only thing I can, uh, the only anecdote I can share is my wife's parents, sadly, were the reverse. And they regarded the stock market as being gambling. And so they had all their money in the bank and they did have some money in real estate. Yeah. And, and by the way, apropos of the of the of the stock market being gambling and and your earlier comments, the one thing I will say, you know, to people who think that the stock market is gambling, is the difference between Vegas and one of the differences, a key difference between Vegas and the stock market, is that you're the house in in uh, as long as you're appropriately invested when it comes to the stock market, you're the mm -hmm. house. You're getting a one or two percent return, you know, like minimum. Companies are paying you out money, one or 2% a year. In Vegas, you're paying the house one or 2% a year. So long-term, you're always losing in Vegas. Long-term, as long as you're appropriately invested, you know, hopefully you'll make bigger uh, returns than one or 2% a year. But that, that's what you're getting paid out uh, through dividends. You know, After taxes, one or 2% a year, you're getting paid to be in the stock market yeah. on top of the capital appreciation. Now, my my parents-in-law, you know, they had a large part of their money just in the bank because they didn't want to risk it. Well, what happened between 1980, right, and 2020? The inflation we just talked about. Yeah. They went broke. You know, they had a financial plan, and their plan was to grow, go broke slowly, right? Yeah. Surely, but steadily, they went broke. And yeah. So sadly, they made some really bad real estate investments on top of that. So actually, well, they went they went broke quite quickly. Oh, geez. You know, well, the thing is, I don't I don't remember what the interest rates uh, were in the eighties that you could mm. get in a bank account, and maybe, well, you know, I know that it was a lot higher than now, but maybe you know the banks were paying decent interest rates that would keep up with inflation, but. In my lifetime, or at least since I've been an adult, I don't know of any savings account or any bank account at all that has paid me even one percent. Right, or, or right, above. absolutely. I don't, I don't think so. Exactly. Yeah. So they were paying more back back then. And by the way, you know, I I I, I didn't mean to laugh at my at my my parents and lords expense. They're both, by the way, they both passed away a few years ago. But yes, I more just meant to to share their their story yeah. here to make sure that others don't fall into the same trap. Anyway, so those are how we kind of plan the buckets. And one other thing just worth mentioning about some of the stuff we put in the buckets is 
we do also have what I call a FOMO bucket. Can you imagine what a FOMO bucket is, Eric? Well, I know FOMO was fear of missing out in normal acronym. I don't know if you're you're sticking with that one or if it's something else. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to stick with that one. Okay. And this is not an important bucket and not everybody can have it, but it's a don't need bucket. You know, we talked earlier, don't risk what you have and need for what you don't have and don't need. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. if you, if you have money that you don't need, you can put it in a, in, in a FOMO bucket in a fear of missing out bucket, right? Mm-hmm. You can put it in the next exciting kind of investment and, and that you think is going to, you know, it doesn't matter if you lose the money, Right. I, like it. I put some money in Bitcoin. You know how much I put in Bitcoin, Eric? No idea. Okay. I put in as much money into Bitcoin as I was willing to literally burn. Yeah. It turned out it was not very much money. I I mean, I have a decent, I, you know, I'm doing okay. But it turned out I was only willing to burn $500. Mm-hmm. Now, I might give more than a lot more than that to charity. But in terms of just saying, okay, I'm willing to lose it, it was $500. And it's a good thing I only put five hundred dollars in because it's not worth five hundred dollars today. Let, let me say, yeah. Um, so with fear, fear of missing out, right? And and we have access to much better strategies than Bitcoin. The 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 very sophisticated strategies that you can only get through people like us, that institutional investors can give you access to, and the kind of things that endowments have, and. Some of them are going to have spectacular returns and great risk-adjusted re- rewards. And you know, some of those may, they're not going to be like Bitcoin, but again, they're this bright, shiny thing that, that we can put you in. Also, though, amongst these kind of institutional-style, endowment-style investments that we can put you in of, of you know, private, private equity and certain kinds of real estate products, they're going to be illiquid. A lot of them are going to be illiquid. So they may go in your middle buckets because- you cannot access that money for a while. You know, if something goes south in the economy, you can't turn around and access that money. But over the long term, historically, some of these investments have had much higher risk-adjusted returns. And by the way, some of them are not, most of them are not FOMO. They're not, I use that FOMO example. Most of these things, you know, like I was on a call yesterday with with Blackstone, and they were talking about how critical it is when they invest in, in in a product, their clients' money. The number one thing is they get their return of principal back, right? Mm-hmm. Which you talked about in in the in the beginning. The most important thing is is the return of your money rather than the return on your money. You know, Blackstone has done a very good job, as have many other companies, on giving you a return of your money along with return on your money. So you can get both, but those kind of products are going to be in the middle buckets because you can't necessarily access them uh, immediately. They've got to be in there. They've got to cook for a while. Okay. So let me ask you this because I'm following along and I think the audience is following along as well, but it's still kind of unclear to me. So can you give me an example, maybe a, a client example or a story that utilizes the buckets, how they're set up and what they're for? Because I, I think if I have a more concrete example, that would be very helpful. Absolutely, Eric. Let, let me uh, have a stab at doing that. Now, right. I, this might start getting a little in the weeds, okay? So pull me back if, I, okay. if I'm getting too detailed uh, here. Okay, so we were just working uh, uh, with um, Tom and Sheila um, uh, uh, this last week. I mean, these are 
uh, uh, names changed and some details mm-hmm. changed, but just as, as an example, right? Yep. So Tom and Sheila, they need a hundred thousand dollars a year. Tom is is uh, sixty two. You know, they're starting to end. They're entering the make work optional stage. Okay. So yeah, they're still doing some work, but they've dialed back from their real, you know, from their real professional jobs, and uh, they need a hundred thousand dollars a year to to top them up. And you know, they they've got. Uh, Let's say they got two or three million dollars in assets. So, first of all, bucket one, we have one hundred and fifty to two hundred thousand dollars in their bank account. You know, we love clients to have a good amount of money in their bank account if mm-hmm. they are drawing money. Right? It means you can sleep at night. Doesn't matter what the market does. Like over the last few months, you got one, you got a couple of hundred thousand dollars sitting in your bank account, even if you're drawing money out. Bucket two is. At this stage of life, this couple, like many other couples, have inherited an IRA from mm-hmm. their parents. Okay, and if that's called a beneficiary IRA, you have to take it out over ten years, and you have to pay tax on it over ten years. So that's a great source of funds for for bucket number two because it's got to come out anyway. So we're going to invest that beneficiary IRA very conservatively, right? Maybe some money market funds, which are, are right now they're paying out some kind of interest and, and maybe some other what we call fixed income products where we know the value is not going to go down even if the market falls, right? Mm-hmm. So we're going to use these assets along maybe with some other assets, which I won't go into, to provide some money over the next 10 years. What happens in 10 years? If Tom is 62 right now, in 10 years, he's going to be 72. Do you know what That's happens? What I do. You and I've <laughs> talked about this. RMDs kick in at 72, right? Yeah. What are called RMDs, required minimum distributions. Yeah. Now, Tom has a million dollar IRA. And uh, that means that he is going to be taking out about, gosh, I think it's about $60,000 a year. It's going to be okay. out of that IRA. Combined with that other income, <laughs> he's they're going to have a heavy tax hit on that $60,000. Good news, by then the beneficiary IRA will already be used up. That mm-hmm. will not be contributing to their tax hit, right? So that will be the next thing that we're going to have to use in 10 years, but we're not going to touch it for 10 years. So it has room to grow, right? So Absolutely. that can be positioned differently to our beneficiary IRA. Then at a certain point, a few years after that, Sheila's 10 years younger than Tom is. So 10 years after that, her IRA is going to cook our 401k IRA is going to start kicking in with its RMDs. So that's 20 years before we need Sheila's IRA. So that is going to be invested more aggressively. In between times, we also have money in in their trust, and we're going to have different asset classes in their trust and use different parts of the trust at different points because it's going to be kind of in different buckets, I guess what I'm saying. There's going to be some short-term trust funds, and then mm-hmm. there's going to be some longer terms because a lot of the trust is going to get left over. It's going to end up being a lot of equities, and that that they're able to grow throughout their lifetime because they're never going to need them again. They'll be there if we need it, but the but they've got to step up in basis on death. So that's so they won't pay any tax on the gross of those ex- equities or some of those equities, right? If they hold them until their death. So that's a different long-term bucket. The other buckets I should talk about are their uh, Roth IRAs and Roth 401ks. 
is that as far as the Roth IRAs are concerned, they're going to be the last bucket. We're probably never going to touch that. That's that. That is going to be a bucket for their children mm-hmm. because Roth IRAs you don't pay any taxes on, and those could potentially maybe they would be a hundred percent equities, or they or, or they may have some other um, more esoteric investments in them that are going to grow at a higher rate long term. And I guess the final thing to say is that some of the mid midterm buckets would have some of those private equity things that I was talking about. Some of those alternative investments that we don't need to touch that money for a long time. So we can do some more, if, if they're higher net worth investors, we can do some more sophisticated things to get a higher return at a lower risk in those middle to long-term buckets. Yeah. Okay. That that really paints a really good picture because again, obviously this is individualized. You, you, the, the example that you're giving, the names of the chains, like you said, everybody's going to have their own scenario, but still the use of the buckets isn't necessarily going to change. It's just maybe what's in them and, and where they came from, whether it's inheritance of some kind, you've got this plan mapped out for this specific couple that really the, the mapping out a plan for anybody who contacts you is what you do. Uh, absolutely. And another thing to point out is that so, you know th- these people don't have any annuities, but we don't sell annuities, but some people... Uh, a lot of our clients already have annuities and we advise on them. And those annuities are going to fit a very specific part of okay. this, of this strategy, right? They might be used up front. They might be used long, you know, longer term, but that's another kind of asset type that you need to create the specific bucket for. Yeah. And then in, in those buckets or in this strategy so far, I didn't hear anything about social security, right? Oh. And so uh, again, that comes up where right. because you've got these different buckets and then social security can be added, you can delay social security, which I know increases mm. it, you know, better than I do, but mm. it increases it. So if you, if you're pulling from what I'm hearing, if you're pulling from the correct buckets at the correct time, you know, taking advantage of all the tax, uh, you know, advantages that you could possibly have social security kicking in, that's going to make it so you don't have to take so much out of one bucket. Maybe, I mean, there's, there's all sorts of possibilities. That's great. Right. Right. Well, thanks for bringing that up, Eric. Yes. And yeah, that social security is extremely relevant and, and this does enable them to potentially, you know, if it makes sense for them uh, Mm -hmm. and we do planning around that to see if it is going to make sense, you know, they may delay claiming social security. We, we, we see income streams as different than the buckets. The buckets are their investments with us that are providing income, but we take into account their other income streams, right? Their pension, their social security. Maybe it is an annuity that got annuitized, or, or maybe they, they have other, some other kind of stream of income. We take those into account with our financial planning process to know how much we need to pull from these buckets at different times, right? So depending on how much we need to pull from from the buckets over the course of their journey, from the fuel tanks, right? From the fuel tanks over the course of their journey, mm-hmm. we may need to pull more or less fuel at a different time. And that's all mapped out. That's all planned out. Love it. All right. Well, we've spent a lot of time on that pillar. Pillar number five, I know, is tax efficiency because you, you know, you told me that before and you told the audience that before. So how does tax efficiency play into the overall picture? Right. So tax efficiency, gosh, it helps in so many ways. And I, I, we talked before, I believe, in our secret source about those solid rocket fuel boosters on the mm-hmm. side of the shuttle. And if you're trying to fill them up with fuel and you got big gushing leaks out the bottom, you know, you're going to waste a lot of gas, right? And yeah. the gas in our case, the fuel in our case is money and assets and the leaks are taxes are high taxes while you're earning, right? You really want to reduce those taxes. And we have strategies we can put in place for business owners and high earning 
individuals to reduce those taxes so that fuel tanks can fill a lot faster and you get to the stage where you don't need to work anymore a lot sooner, right? We can get mm-hmm. you there possibly at, you know, uh, at 45, 55, or, you know, 60, uh, rather than you having to work for the rest of your life, right? Yeah. Um, but then once we've launched, we want to make sure that as we're going through space, that we are driving, and I think we've referenced this before, that we want our space shuttle going through space to be like a Tesla rather than like my 1973 Buick that burned a lot of gas. Yes. Right? Yep, I remember that reference. Yes, yeah. So how do we do that? Again, we, as far as the investment strategies are concerned, we give you the most tax-efficient investments, and we pay a lot of attention to get to taxes. And you have to be very careful, again, of, of sometimes Wall Street ha- has some self-serving kind of um, methodologies. And what? A- Wall Street? <laughs> no. <laughs> so Wall Street doesn't always... Uh, is not always going to be so attentive to your tax situation. Mm-hmm. They're going to do what's convenient for them. They have a famous adage, don't let the tax tail wag the investment dog. Mm-hmm. Now, there can be some truth to that, right? That that certainly, maybe if you had some highly appreciated investments back in December, you know, maybe you had some uh, highly appreciated e-commerce stocks that had done very well through the pandemic and and you would have been better off selling them and paying the taxes, right? If you said, oh, I don't want to sell them because I don't want to pay these taxes. Well, now in hindsight, you'd look back and think, gosh, I, I, would, I would have been much better off paying the taxes and, and taking the money. So I, there is value to, to that saying, don't let the tax tail wag the investment dog. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you give Wall Street an inch and, and they take it a mile. They make you pay a lot of taxes when you don't need to. They Instead of looking at your portfolio where you may have highly appreciated securities and building building a portfolio around that so they don't have to trigger your taxes, they just do what's convenient. They just sell out everything. They make you pay the taxes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, that's, uh, and that's like burning a lot of fuel, right? You don't yeah. need to do that. And there are other... There are other issues, again, about making sure that you've got the right assets in the right accounts. You've got the right assets in your Roth in your Roth accounts. You've got the right assets in your IRA, and you've got the right assets in your taxable accounts where you're paying taxes. And again, sometimes it's, that's not, that makes our life more complicated, right? We have to embrace the complexity because it serves the client better. It's going to reduce their taxes and give them a more tax-efficient profile. So- that is what how we get to that you know tesla going through space rather mm-hmm. than the 1973 buick love it all right what else do we need to cover today before we wrap this up you know i think that so you know i've touched on just beware of advisors who want to sell your legacy positions incurring a huge mm-hmm. tax bill uh, this can be sold for and uh you know there's one other thing there's a i get a lot of adverts i think everybody gets a lot of adverts from a company that i'm not going to name but it's also, it's like, I think it's either the biggest or it's, I think it's the second biggest, what we call registered investment advisor in the country. I'm a registered investment advisor. This is the second registered, biggest registered investment advisor. I, I mean, it's it's not like Morgan Stanley, that's a warehouse. It's not like Wells Fargo, that's a warehouse. But this company does a huge amount of marketing. And one of the things I, I got, a, I saw an advert from them today saying the top 10 things that are wrong with annuities. And look, I'm not a huge fan of annuities, mm. but the thing about this particular company 
is they're always bashing annuities. And I know what they do, that, that if you join them, they'll get you out of, the, of your annuity. Now, it may not have been the best thing for you to do in the first place by that annuity, but often an even worse thing is to get you out of that annuity so you can put your money with them. You see, they're not getting paid on your annuity, so they don't want you to have it. But now you get out of it, you are likely to be paying taxes and penalties. So that you have, one has to be very careful about that. I hate this blanket statement of theirs that annuity is a bad period. You, if a client has an annuity, there are ways, there are often ways to make that annuity work with their plan, even if you're not getting paid for it. Yeah. And here's the thing is that that, that bothers me to no end because for the listening audience, if you don't know it, there are certain things we cannot say on this podcast and guaranteed is one of them. You know, you can't guarantee anything. That company that's going to get you out of the annuity can't guarantee that you're going to make your money back after you've paid your penalties and after you paid your, you know, the taxes and everything, they can't guarantee anything. So that really bothers me that they're, I don't know. It's, it's kind of, it's shady, right? It, it is shady. And they do it as if they're all being, uh, as if they got great integrity, but uh, anyway. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> Okay, yeah. so maybe I, I I shouldn't you know I, I shouldn't show throw shade as my son says on on other people, but I am but trying to truth, educate. Though. That's true. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, that's not shade. That's just true. It's kind of like buyer beware or right. or client beware. I mean, they're they have their agenda, uh, and uh, you, you've got to know that up front. Right. So let, let's kind of uh, let's, uh, start uh, kind of wrapping this up and uh, and go into the conclusions. I just want to kind of reiterate, you know, we've talked about our five pillars. We talked about pillar number one, that reliability of income is uh, more important uh, than return on investment if you want to make work optional. Because, you know, there's no point in being uh, on the fastest flight to the moon if there's any chance you're going to blow up before you get there, right? I mean... If I put you on a space shuttle and say, well, you know, you got a 95% chance of getting there, but but you're going to get there twice as quick. I think you'd say, yeah, get me off this space shuttle. Yeah. Yeah. I'll take the slower route guaranteed. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) So then we talked about process pillar number two, which was uh, Harry Markowitz and modern portfolio theory and getting the highest risk adjusted return for your portfolio. It's not about, you know, he showed how it's not about picking the right stocks. It's about the way you put your portfolio together that uh, is going to give you those highest risk-adjusted returns over the long term. We talked about pillar number three and Robert Schiller and behavioral economics uh, and the way that markets over time can get more or less rational, and it can get irrational at the st- extremes. Markets can get too expensive, and you've just got to be aware of that, and they can go on sale and equally you can take advantage of that and you need we you have to have a method and a process to take advantage and and we do and we talked about our bucket strategy to make sure that we take care of you on these on this different journey and the different assets and sometimes the uh, for the high net worth clients the fairly complex assets we can take advantage of to to get you on along this journey and then number five, we talked about the tax and how important tax is once again in navigating your financial journey. So those are our five pillars and you know, our uh, lunar, lo- <laughs> lunar landing wealth management process. You know, our mission is to protect our clients and get them to their destination safely and securely. I love that. I love the example that you gave. Adam, great information. If people are listening to this going, 
I need to start my journey or I'm partway through my journey. I don't want to make sure my, my shuttle is ship shape and not leaking a bunch of fuel. How do they get a hold of you? Right, Eric. So the best thing to do is to go to our website, which is uh, www.wellacrewealth. That's wellacrewealth.com. And they can also give us a call on 310-220-4946. That's 310-220-4946. Adam, fantastic job today. I love this podcast. Great information. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Eric. Uh, wonderful to be with you as ever. All right. I'll see you in a couple of weeks. And our last thank you is for you, the listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Red Carpet Retirement Podcast with Adam Scott. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Adam comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. And we humbly ask that you share this podcast, rate it, and leave a review as this actually does help others find the show. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Wellacre Wealth, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Wellacre Wealth Management, LLC. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content should not be considered as legal or tax advice, nor is it intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor and consult with your own legal and tax professionals before taking any action.